welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Givens with thelines.com, and this year, I am joined by a new face. That's Kelly Ford, the one, the only, you may know him as Kelly Ford Ratings on Twitter. Kelly, what's going on? Thank you for joining me, first of all. How are you today? Yeah, yeah, Brett, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to be here and be part of the team here at thelines.com. It's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, can't wait to get going. The 2023 season will be here before we know it. Yeah, seriously. It's late July, which means officially football season. <laughs> I don't know. The, the NCAA athletic calendar has turned over, so we are technically on to football season. But before we dive into our topic for today, I wanted to start with you. Introduce yourself to our viewership. Uh, you may be new to many. You shouldn't be new to most. But give us a background kind of on what Kelly Ford ratings are, your background. How did you get into it and how did you end up here? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the kind words. Um, certainly looking forward to being new to a new audience. Um, yeah, the K Ford rating started publicly back in 2019. And I've always had a knack for math and numbers. And college football has always been my, my favorite sport, um, one that I've watched since for as long as I can remember. And so I've always loved Bill Connolly's SP Plus and Brian Fromo's FBI. Those two guys are really the godfathers of college football predictive analytics, in my opinion. And so for the longest time, I used their numbers to really frame my perspective of teams and conferences and big games. And eventually I decided, you know what, instead of just using their numbers, what if I tried to figure out a way to create some of my own? And so I researched everything I could about what Bill and Brian put out there, listened to any podcast or video um, interview that they had had and, and art, any work that they put out in written form and um, use that as kind of my blueprint. And then as I've gotten going, I've uh, been able to find additional things that I think are uh, good and add predictive value to the power ratings. And so that's kind of how I got to the K4 ratings. They are power ratings like an SP plus, like an FEI, like an ESPN, FPI. Um, trying to figure out what are the predictive aspects of college football and can we put those all together in a model to try to generate power ratings for teams and say who's better than who on paper moving forward. Um, and so I've been doing that, like I said, since 2019. Uh, it's been fun and I'm getting better at it as we're going here. The more I learn, the more data I'm starting to collect for myself and be able to back test and play with every every summer. Um, and then I'm also, I think my favorite application, Brett, of the power ratings I'm able to use those as an engine to generate uh, what I call most deserving resume rankings. And so it's a way to view every single FBS college football team's resume through a singular lens. So we look at every team's schedule and we view it through the prism of how would the average top 25 team do against this schedule? What would, what would their expected record be? And if you have a better record than that, you're going to have, you know, a positive outcome in those most deserving rankings. If you have a worse record, as most do when the benchmark is average top 25 team, then you'll be farther down in those rankings. And so it's a way to standardize the college football schedule, which uh, across the landscape is very imbalanced. I mean, is eight and four in the SEC better than 12 and 0 in the MAC? Possibly, maybe even likely. Um, so it's a way to kind of standardize and normalize college football schedules uh, across the, the landscape. And that's probably my favorite application of the power ratings. It actually doesn't have anything to do with betting or putting out projected lines, win totals, or anything looking forward. I like being able to look back and say, okay, whose resume is better than whose uh, as we progress throughout the season. So most deserving rankings, power ratings, that's kind of what the K-Ford ratings are all about. And uh, I post about it on Twitter at K-Ford ratings and on the website, uh, k 4 and now moving forward, 
talking about it here with you on this podcast, uh, as well as writing for it at alliance.com. Yeah, and, and those most deserving resume rankings are, one, a treasure trove of information for those that can rationally apply it. And, you know, most cannot. And I think that's why they're so great, because they're certainly not ruffling any feathers. Uh, you don't have a lot of people coming at you saying, who is this guy, uh, as you just did earlier today. Uh, I say that in jest. These are seriously like, if you have not checked out his work, it's all over the place, and you should be. Uh, and there's there's a reason that we really really wanted to bring Kelly on here uh, for this show. So the, the the goal for the show, as it was last year, but even more so this year, is to have, like you said, predictive value, actionable information for betters out here. We're going to be coming to you weekly, uh, a little bit more frequently this preseason, uh, and, and I guess a little bit less on a schedule because we just want to get these previews out to you. Uh, we're hoping to to help betters out here traverse the college football landscape, especially with the new transfer portal, all the stuff going on, all the changes. There's rule changes this year that we'll certainly talk plenty about. But today I wanted to start breaking down some of the group of five conferences, the betting landscape. And I just kind of want a 30,000 foot view on what your overall temperature is on the group of five. Yeah, for sure. And, and Brett, I'll also mention um, for my day job, my, my real job, I work in college athletics administration. So I'm a uh, associate commissioner for the Horizon League, which is a division one conference office in Indianapolis. But we don't sponsor football. Um, but because I work in college athletics, there are very strict rules about what I can and more importantly, cannot do in the betting space for any sport that is sponsored by the NCAA, which does include football. So Anything that I talk about um, here on the show or anything I write about um, at Alliance.com, it is not necessarily betting advice. I'm not telling you how to bet. I'm not giving out any plays because I'm not making any plays um, because I'm not allowed to. I will share, even if I was, sports betting just like before I worked in college athletics and I, you know, I'd go to Vegas with my friends or whatever and we'd bet on games. Like, it makes me nervous. Like it takes, and I know it does it for everyone, but it almost takes the fun out of it a little bit. So I'll be honest, I really don't miss sports betting since I've joined the industry and I'm not able to, but I know a lot of people do use my numbers to place bets and they have been successful in, in terms of making money in that in the past. And so I think that's great. I put it out there for the public and, and we'll talk about that here on the show too. I just want to be clear with everyone as I have been along the way um, that I'm not personally making any bets, nor am I advising you to make any. I'm simply stating what my numbers are saying about various teams, matchups, conferences, or what have you. So you take that information for what it is. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Group of five, 30,000 foot view. I think there is a distinct difference in the talent level compared to the power five. And I think that might be growing a little bit as we see more and more G5s transition to the power five level. I mean, with conference realignment, uh, we saw a little bit of that, you know, 10 years ago. Now we're seeing it again more recently, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, making that transition um, from the American or independent and in BYU's case to the big 12 this upcoming year. But even though there is a gap in quality, that's not to say there aren't really high quality G5 programs as a whole or G5 teams at any given year. Most notably this year, I know we're going to talk about them, uh, Tulane, Boise State, SMU, UTSA, Memphis. Those are some of the teams that kind of stand out to me as above average FBS teams. Um, so they'd be below average within the Power 5 realm, but they're kind of that top end of the G5. And they are better than some Power 5 teams, at least according to my projections coming into this year. Yeah, and I guess just to be clear up front, as I appreciate you jumping out at the forefront saying, hey, 
you know, my numbers are not telling you to bet one side or another. I'm also not here to tell people listening to bet one side or another. I do bet that is what I do here for the lines and I will share my plays and then, you know, we'll kind of, we'll kind of bounce it off each other's numbers and see that again, first and foremost, we want actionable information, but second most, we want everybody on here to be able to draw their own conclusions, right? We're not a tout service. We're not saying here are the plays of the week that you should copy. It's hey, here's what I played. Here's the process that I got behind it. And I know that your ratings are, are exponentially going to help our uh, reasoning on, on some of these plays here, but um, okay. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's I, people use the word farm system. I, I'm not quite there yet in terms of the P five rating, the G five. I just, I'm not quite there at this point. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point, uh, to be honest, but I, I, I'm very excited for a lot of these teams. The conferences in themselves, I don't think have any reduced value because of that talent gap between power five, which it exists. I'm sorry. I love group of five football. I graduated from a max school. Absolutely love all college football, but there is a talent difference. Like, you know, I, I recruited in the college space. There are kids that we looked at that were like, Hey, you know, we're not going after Ohio's number one, five star Bowling Green. We're just not, we're probably not going to land them. Uh, but I want to dive in any, do you have any conferences of particular interest? They're all interesting in their own right, but any that really stand out to you? Yeah, for sure. Within the G5 ranks, you know, historically, the American has been kind of the flag bearer. They went as far as to say P6 for for quite a while. I know they've dropped that slogan now, but um, with some of the teams that have transitioned out, I mean, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, the most recent, they have taken a little bit of a hit, but historically, they have been the best. You know, the Mountain West at the very top when Boise State's been really, really good, they've been the, the flag bearer for, for the G5 teams and conferences. Um, I really like what the Sun Belt's doing. Um, they have had a lot of improvement in recent years. I mean, like this is how I kind of think about the Sun Belt. Back in 2013 or 14, somewhere around there, the Western Kentucky was in the Sun Belt and they transitioned out of the Sun Belt and went to Conference USA because at the time that was viewed as a move up in the football realm as well as probably men's basketball at that time if I if I remember correctly, but it was certainly a football move. Now you flash forward 10 years and Conference USA probably among, if not the worst of the G5s have had a lot of transition. They got, they got killed by some, some conference realignment here um, with those teams going to the American, but the Sun Belt has just slowly, but surely, you know, added smart pieces here and there. James Madison being the most recent transitioning from the FCS and the top of the Sun Belt has some really good teams and some really good programs. They've had some great coaches rolling through there recently. Of course, when you are, when you are at a G5 level, the best of the best coaches are probably going to end up getting power five jobs, which we've seen over and over. Um, but I, the Sun Belt's really making improvement. I'm not ready to say that they're going to be, you know, the best conference in of, of the G5s just yet. But in a year, two, three, they very well could be there because I think they are trending up while others are trending down or staying neutral even if it's through no fault of their own, because it's through membership attrition with, with conference realignment, it doesn't matter. The Sunbelt's going in the right direction, and they're, they're a conference that really intrigues me moving forward. Yeah, the Sunbelt's a really, really well-run conference, I think. They didn't go for huge TV markets. They didn't go for gigantic name brands. Instead, they found well-run programs with bright futures, and all of a sudden, they're finding themselves near the top of you know most people's ratings in terms of average power rating. Now, they do have the floor that may be as low as Conference USA when you're looking at the Arkansas states, the Texas states. We'll talk about the Sun Belt on another show upcoming here. But, you know, it's I just I like what they do. They have solid building blocks. They're well run. 
And yeah, they've they've really improved over it. Have you seen a notable decline in your ratings or your average ratings given the nature of the transfer portal? Like I said, not quite a farm system yet, but you know, taking some of the top talent. Yeah, I think it's still maybe a little bit too early to say. Uh, the increased usage of the transfer portal, the free one-time transfer that we now have in football, um, these things have taken effect in recent times. And it's going along with COVID as well. All of that hit kind of at once. Uh, NIL is another one that, that's a player now. So all these changes happen. I, I'm definitely collecting data and observing trends. I don't want to draw too many conclusions from it just yet, just because we don't have really enough years worth to, to say, hey, we actually have a trend here, or is it just a blip? Is water finding its level, sort of, with all these changes that are happening? Yes, the best G5 players are transitioning up to the Power 5, if you will. That's not new, though. And and because of that, there is there is a decent amount of movement the other way, too, with Power 5 players who are maybe you know unhappy with playing time, or there's coaching changes or whatever. They're making the transition to some G5 programs. And so it's kind of going both ways. Certainly, there's more going up to the Power 5. But I think even more so than the transfer portal, I, I mentioned COVID. I think we've just seen a lot more misses in the recruiting world than normal. And, and this happened because during the COVID times, there were large numbers of restrictions for large periods of times on the number of in-person recruitment visits or evaluation windows and things like that. So coaches were giving offers maybe to players that they either had only seen once or twice or hadn't seen at all in person. And so I think there were just more misses around, you know, the COVID era in the recruiting world than we were used to in the past. And that's starting to level back out now that we're in the post-COVID environment. Um, but we're still seeing the effects of that as players are maybe not finding their fit. And now they're in their, you know, sophomore, junior years um, of those programs after being recruited during a time when coaches couldn't really get onto their high school campuses or in their homes because of uh, restrictions that were in place on a global level. Yeah, and I think it, the misses go both ways. It was the programs missing on the players, but also the players missing on the programs. They may have chosen the wrong school. And it's it was an interesting coincidence that the transfer portal kind of exploded at the same time because they took all the bar basically all the bars off at you know at kind of the same time that that COVID class was coming up. That like you said, these players didn't visit campuses. Maybe they didn't get quite the right feel for the culture of the program and pick the wrong program. And, and me personally, I think that's a big reason why there's so darn many guys that are in the portal specifically now. Will that taper? I don't know. Time will tell. But I do think that that was a big reason. So I think it does miss on both ways. But enough of the 30,000 foot view. Let's get elbows deep. Let's get dirty with this stuff. We're going to talk about the American Conference today. We're going to hit on the other four G5 conferences upcoming here soon. Let's talk about the American. And I wanted to touch first on conference realignment. This is the first year of it. We can't talk about the American without their new pieces. Coming in, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, UTSA. A lot of big TV markets there. That's kind of what they went for. Instead of quality, they went quantity. They went TV markets. I get it. I think it's a smart business decision. And that's not to say that they didn't get a little bit of talent back with UTSA. Obviously, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are on their way out. What dip did the American take from pre- and post-conference realignment in your average conference power ranks? I should yeah, say so in, in terms of the teams themselves, the membership composition at the end of last year, so 2022 year-end average K Ford rating, which I have on a 0 to 100 scale, where 50 represents the FBS average. It is not a points per game above or below average. So 
if I have a power rating of 55 and you have a power rating of 50, that's not saying I'm favored by five football points on a neutral field. That's as I standardize the ratings to a zero to 100, I'm five points on that scale better than you. That's much less than five football points though. So that's just context as I'm getting ready to, to answer the question here, Brett. Last year, 2022 year-end average K-Ford rating for the American and the membership that they had was a 51.3 K-Ford rating. So that's slightly better than FBS average. FBS average is 50. And that was the best of any G5. If they had that exact same membership, last year's membership, this year's preseason K-Ford ratings, the average K-Ford rating in the American would be a 45. So the teams from last year's composition are slightly worse than what they were in 2022 based on what I'm expecting and projecting out of the teams this year. Now, what the new membership's preseason average K-Ford rating is, is a 35. So last year's membership would be a 45 this year. This year's membership is a 35. That difference, 35 to 45, is approximately a field goal worse per team per game than the old membership. So when you say what kind of hit did they take long-term, I think they took a, a pretty significant hit because, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, those are programs that within the last... Five, 10 years have had success at the New Year Six level. Cincinnati made a CFP. Um, UCF claims a national championship in 2017, 2018, whatever that year was. I don't recognize that, but they do, so good for them. Um, long term, they took a, a pretty significant hit. I think we all know that. Short term, it really wasn't that much. I mean, it's a field goal per game, per team. That's not nothing, but that's within that's within a realm of a toss-up game. So um, definitely worse, but not not the worst that it could be, uh, at least here in the immediate in 2023. I still do have the American as the best G5 on average into this year, but the gap is much, much closer than it was in 2022. And I, th I think this, even though their top three members have departed, I still think that there is an interesting top tier to this conference. It looks like our same, or our four teams are the same, uh, but you have one, one extra. So for my numbers, which are aggregated from power ratings all around, you have FEI, you have SP+, you have Sagarin. I'm trying to fold yours in, but of course, you know, you have your own scale. I, I currently have Tulane, SMU, UTSA, and Memphis in a top tier before I draw a real break, like, like a six, six and a half point break uh, before we get to the East Carolinas and uh, others. Yours are about the same, but you chose to move your tier break differently what are your what or what make what teams make up your top tier for the american yeah so for me i'm with you on those four i've got tulane smu utsa and memphis those are all top 60 teams in my power ratings right now coming into the year i also included fau they're number 75 in my power ratings but the reason i included them the way i do this is i'm looking at using my numbers projected conference standings based on projected conference wins over the course of the schedule. So using my power ratings, I'm able to generate projected point spreads for every single game. Then using those point spreads, I can plug them into my um, expected win probability model that I have, and that'll spit out expected win probabilities for every single game. You multiply those together, you get all the various combinations and outcomes that a team could have in a season ranging from 12-0 and 0 to 0-12. And, and so for me, the way I'm looking at this and drawing tiers is I'm looking at my projected American conference standings, which I posted on my website, and I've got SMU at 6.1 games, Tulane at 6.0 games, Memphis and UTSA both at 5.5, and I put Florida Atlantic in there because they're at 4.8. So they're within, you know, 1.2 conference wins of Tulane in second place, 1.3 of SMU at first place. To me, 
they're they're definitely the fifth in that list. So I don't blame you for drawing your line where you did, but they're within that realm. They're not going to be a favorite to make it, but I wouldn't be surprised if FAU's in the conference championship at the end of the year, whereas I would be surprised, really, if anybody outside of those five had one of those two spots. That's interesting. I like FAU a lot, and, you know, it it may be a rookie move, but sometimes I do look at these numbers and disagree with them. We'll talk about Florida later on, but Florida in itself, I think, is vastly overrated in the numbers that I have in front of me. FAU, I think, is a very good chance to exceed these preseason numbers I'm having before. I really like their coaching hire. I think Tom Herman is a very good coach. I think he got a raw deal at Texas, and he kind of brings this all-star cast of veteran names that have been in the NFL and around Power 5 uh, teams to Boca Raton. They landed a talented quarterback, Casey Thompson. I, you know, I, I didn't have these <laughs> notes in front of me to talk about FAU, but I think that they're a team that can greatly exceed. Now, this tier that I did was just simply based off of, hey, here's my number. I have Memphis at, at X and, you know, FAU kind of falls five and a half points behind them. So that's where I kind of drew that tier break. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see FAU. Actually, I'd be delighted to see FAU in the American uh, title game here in the first year. But I did want to start with UTSA. They're fantastic last couple of seasons. Jeff Trailer signed basically a de jure lifetime contract to where, yeah, he's going to have to leave town in order for them to get rid of him. My first play that I will put out on here, again, not touting it, but saying here's what I played, UTSA over seven and a half wins. That's actually still available. You can find it as high as eight. Uh, Wouldn't recommend betting the eight. I recommend taking the seven and a half, of course. But I have them uh, as double-digit favorites in every single home game, all five of them, and favored in three of six road games. They're only a double-digit dog uh, once, and that's at Tennessee. So you can kind of mark up Tennessee as... Yeah, they're probably going to lose that game, but I can't really see anything else on their schedule that says, yes, that's a loss. What say you about UTSA? Yeah, first I'll say, you know, my numbers, they agree with you on the over seven and a half. There's a 58% chance by my numbers that UTSA goes over seven and a half. If you get it at eight, now there's only a 30% chance that you you cash that and you have a 27% chance of a push for me. So um, I I think that's a a good play by my numbers. Um, Prior to 2021, UTSA hadn't finished higher than 92nd in my year-end power ratings since they joined FBS like a decade ago. In 2021, they were 58th. That's a big jump up. And in 2022, they were 62nd. This preseason, they're 59th. So these last three years, UTSA's turned the page. They're, they're, they're an improved program. They could very well be you know, amongst the elite of the new American moving forward, including this year. They have a top 40 offense by my numbers, and I think they're going to be able to take advantage of having that because they face just the 109th most difficult collection of opposing FBS defenses. And I know that was a mouthful. Basically what I'm able to do is look at every single schedule like we normalize it for the most deserving rankings. Let's normalize everybody's schedule and say on average, how difficult or easy are the offenses and defenses that you are facing at the FBS level this year? The average defense that UTSA is facing ranks 109th in the 1 to 133. Like that's their ordinal rank of of average defensive opponents. So this top 40 offense should have their way in most of these games. The defense is ranked in the mid 80s by my number. So that could be a concern. But like you talked about them being favored. I have them favored in every single conference game except for the finale at Tulane. I I like Tulane by about six and a half in that game right now. 
Um, but I have a 32% chance for UTSA to reach the conference championship game. That's tied for the third best with Memphis behind only SMU and Tulane. So I'm very interested to see what UTSA is able to do this year. And again, with a 32% chance to reach the conference championship game, you know, one and three, uh, I think those Roadrunner fans should be happy with that at this stage, I would think. Yeah, and you talked about the, the creep up in your ratings. I want to talk about the creep up in their recruiting. Uh, UTSA is not an easy place to recruit to, even though you're in the state of Texas, probably the best overall recruiting state in terms of high school talent. And San Antonio is, is no slouch when it comes to putting out some stud prospects, but UTSA in 2019 finished 96 nationally in recruiting the 91st and 81st and 73rd and then 59th. And that 59th is actually tops in the group of five. Currently Uh, they put together a really nice team. And so I think they're set up for future success as well. Obviously, they returned Frank Harris for his 55, 55th year you know, in college football. Um, he's a stud. I would have liked to see Zachary Franklin stay there because, boy, him, Decor, DeCorian Clark, and, uh, oh, boy, that third guy should have had his name in front of me, who's uh, just a stud trio of receivers. Now they have a stud duo of receivers. That is, you know, if JT Clark hopefully can get back in time uh, to play. I kind of saw some reports he may not be ready for week one, but this isn't a week one podcast. I liked him a lot. Uh, I feel pretty pretty good about that seven and a half. Kind of surprised to see that market not have moved yet. I don't like being on the side of markets that don't move in my favor. Uh, yeah, but hey, if you want that number, it is still out there. Let's move on to SMU. Tanner Mordecai on his way out. He's to Wisconsin. Uh, Rasheed Rice, he's gone to the NFL. And they were such big contributors that even though SMU returns most of their starters on offense, they actually only return 52% of offensive production. And that's because Tanner Mordecai, nearly a 12,000-yard career passer, you know, he's gone. But I do want to talk about Preston Stone really quick. He's a blue-chip quarterback. I think, more or less, from what I've seen on tape, he's got similar arm talent. Uh, I think he's a little bit more athletic than Tanner Mordecai was. Uh, You know, his lacking here is experience in this case. He was recruited by Oklahoma. He came in from Oklahoma, actually. Um, I like Preston Stone. I actually think him coming up is... Maybe not a net zero to Tanner Mordecai, but I don't think it really. I don't think they lose a lot of offensive prowess uh, because of that. And and they signed the number one uh, transfer class in the AAC, bringing in Jordan Hudson from uh, TCU, who's a four star. They're bringing in LJ Johnson and Jalen Knight, a couple of running backs from Power Five programs. Cornerback Charles Woods, who could be an All Conference uh, defensive back from West Virginia, and then three Power Five offensive linemen. So I like how they brought in. A lot of Power 5 uh, additions. I think they're going to be a very strong team this year. Um, but what is your assessment on the Mustangs? Yeah, I think long-term SMU is potentially positioned the best of any G5 program to really establish themselves and be a good candidate if there is future conference expansion at the Power 5 level. I think we've already seen some rumblings with the Pac-12 and SMU. But I think given their location within Texas and within the AAC, SMU is an intriguing program moving forward for this year. I actually have Tulane as a slightly better team in my power ratings, just very, very slight. But SMU has a 51% chance to reach the conference championship game, which is the best in the conference, even better than Tulane, due to a slightly easier schedule. So I'm projecting 6.1 conference wins, as I talked about earlier. Like UTSA, to me, this is a good offense and a questionable defense. I've got a top 25 offense here. Again, they can take advantage of this as well. I talked about UTSA facing the 109th most difficult collection of opposing FBS defenses. SMU's is 120th. So there are only 13 teams in all of FBS that face, on average, easier defenses week in and week week out than SMU. And when they have this high-powered offense going against those defenses, 
they should be able to just to score more points than the other team and win shootouts if they need to do that. That's good because his defense grades out nationally around number 100 for me. They're an underdog in only one conference game by my numbers right now. That's at Memphis. I like Memphis by about one point, and that's not until week 12, so the second to last week of the season. And I have a 47% chance to win at least nine games this year for SMU. They won seven in the regular season last year, which is exactly what my my preseason realistic expectations were for SMU. I projected 7.0 wins a year ago. So had SMU nailed, I think they're going to be better this year. I think they're going to win more games. And again, they're my favorite to make the conference championship game. If they face Tulane there, based on current ratings, they might be a slight underdog, but they've got, they've got the road to get there and they have the talent too. Yeah, I have uh, Tulane by about 1.3 power points uh, in my numbers here. I do have Tulane for, uh, well, it's it's pretty much a net zero. 9.1 wins versus 8.8. You round that out, nine wins apiece. Uh, and I do like SMU's schedule quite a bit better. But you talk about, you know, that defense isn't that great. Hey, when you give up 63 points in a game and you come away with a W, I guess it doesn't really matter all that much now, does it? <laughs> but let's, let's talk about that team, the number one team that we project here in the American, and that is Tulane. Uh, you know, they had the biggest turnaround in college football history. They went from two wins to 12 wins, had an electric offense, a serviceable defense. It kind of tapered off at the end of the year, but they played better offense this year. Uh, but why are they the number one team in your rings, uh, according to your assessment? Yeah, so Tulane, it starts with last year. They won 10 regular season games. That was 3.7 more than I projected in the, in the preseason. So I mentioned I nailed SMU. Tulane certainly exceeded my expectations. That plus 3.7 fifth most nationally in all of FBS last year. So the way I talk about that is Tulane was my fifth biggest overachiever last season. So just an incredible year. I'm expecting them to take a step back this year from in terms of overall quality of the team compared to last year, but they still are the best team in the ACC, like, excuse me, the AAC, um, as I mentioned, number 44 nationally. It's the second best offense in the conference behind only SMU, as we just talked about. And I'm projecting this Tulane team to have the best defense. Only an underdog in one game all year, conference or non-conference. That's week two. They get Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss has to go to Tulane this year in week two. My numbers right now like Ole Miss by about five and a half. I'll tell you what, if Tulane's able to get through that, they start with South Alabama. That's not going to be an easy game. you got South Alabama coming to town. They've had all summer to prepare. If you can get by that one, which I expect they probably will, you get Ole Miss at home. If you win that one, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, and the closest game that I have projected, week seven, coming off a bye, they go to Memphis, and I like Tulane by about a point and a half. You know, they close the year. I like them by six against FAU on the road, six at home against, six and a half at home against UTSA. 12 and 0 is not out of the realm of possibility if they're able to get by Ole Miss in week two. Uh, I have a 35% chance to win 10 plus games again this year. So, again, it's more likely than not that they regress in terms of win-loss, even though they are favored in each of these games with the exception of Ole Miss. That's just how it works when we start multiplying expected win probabilities that aren't 100. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a good team, maybe the best team in the American, uh, and I expect them uh, to make the conference championship game. I do have a 48% chance that they make that conference championship game, second behind only SMU. And that Ole Miss game, you know, when you're talking about two-storied SEC rivals like Tulane and Ole Miss, you have to throw the records out. I'm actually really excited for that game. Uh, they uh, Tulane was supposed to host Oklahoma a couple years ago, but a hurricane came through and they had to move that back to Norman, and they gave them a scare. Like They, they gave them a pretty good uh, ball game there, and I think that was in their two-win uh, season. That was obviously interrupted by a lot of things. 
I also have the number one. Like I said, the gap slim, 1.3 points over SMU. They lose their top five tacklers. I think most concerning is that pair of linebackers, Dorian Williams, Nick Anderson, 245 combined tackles between the two. They're both to the NFL. They also lose their top two receivers, Ty J. Spears, absolutely electricity on offense, uh, and they only return 54% of their uh, production here on offense. But they return Michael Pratt. They return a very, very good head coach in Willie Fritz. I really liked the defensive coordinator hire, Sheil Wood from Troy. Uh, he led them to top top 10 marks nationally, points per drive, efficiency, stuff like that. So I like what they did bringing these pieces in. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, Tulane should expect it be the top of the conference. Interestingly, though, uh, Phil Steele has them third in, in his uh, rankings. So it's... One of those things that makes, you know, a little red alert where I'm kind of like, oh boy, why does he have him so low? Uh, you know, Phil Steele, the, the, the Bible that I have sitting here right here on my desk. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not going to second guess. I think Tulane is the best team in the American this year. I agree with you. Do you think there's any teams that might be a surprise? I do want to start with you here. Like, you know, we talked about those five, but is there any that you're kind of like, ooh, maybe? Yeah, for me, Brett, it really is the five teams. SMU, Tulane, Memphis, UTSA, and Florida Atlantic. Outside of those five, there's no other team by my numbers right now that has more than a 5% chance to make the conference championship game. So when we're talking about a surprise, there could be some teams in uh, the rest of this group who overachieve expectations by a significant amount, but I really don't see a path for any teams outside of those five to make the conference championship game. If they do, either I've totally whiffed on something or they've had some great, you know, turnover luck, uh, one score games have gone, you know, eight, no, or whatever it is. So I don't think so, um, but I'm curious if you have any on your list. I can certainly react to those if, if you've got any that you think might be a surprise in a good way this year. A surprise in a good way in terms of maybe exceeding what they did last year. Certainly not championship game aspirations unless they go 8-0 in one-score games and have a plus-22 turnover uh, rate. I don't think – I don't see that with this team, but I do like them. Temple, uh, I don't think this – I think it's the worst-kept secret – in college football this year, they were 0-3 in one-score games last year. Understand, Drayton now is his first year. That's expected. If you come in as a first-year coach and go 0-3 in one-score games, I can excuse it. And I think we can regress to the mean a little bit here in a good way. Leighton Jordan, he's one of the most electric defensive players in this conference. And, you know, he's he's a one-man wrecking crew. I think that he can have a, I don't want to say Will Anderson impact, but a, but a magnitude, a similar magnitude in terms of the American versus the SEC. Kind of the impact that he has on this defense. Kurt Warner's son, EJ Warner, who's fine. I'd like to see him cut down on interceptions. He's also a true freshman. So if you're going to throw, you know, 12 picks as a true freshman, again, I can see that regressing. But why I say that they're the worst kept secret in college football is because their win total open at four and a half. I couldn't even get to that number. It's now six. I make them for about 4.8. I can see them exceeding that a bit. I think they can just be a team that covers a lot because they covered a lot at the end of last year. I think they're a team that can be a, a thorn in some of the better team's sides. And definitely a team that they shouldn't overlook. And Miami, Florida goes to play at Lincoln Financial Field to play uh, Temple here early in the season. It's kind of like one of those games where I'm like, you open that number a little bit too big and I'm probably going to take it. Obviously, Temple is not in your championship game uh, scope. It's, it's not in your sights. But what do you make of them? Can you see them exceeding a 3-9 and nine season? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Three wins last year in the regular season. I'm. You say you're projecting 4.8. I'm projecting 4.9. I have a 34% chance to go bowling. So six plus wins in the regular season, a one in three chance. For a team that won three games last year, 
I think that's fair to say they they could be a, a, a good surprise this year. Most likely record five and seven, then four and eight, then six and six. So uh, yeah, that that could definitely be a team. I think the con or the uh, schedule really helps them out. They have the easiest schedule in the American by my numbers. Um, they've got you know an average defense for the American standards. Need to see the offense improve a bit, but um, yeah, I I could see it. They're only they're only favored in two games right now, but they have close toss-ups in a handful of others by my numbers. So um, I could see it. If they if they get some luck in one possession game and get some turnovers, they, they could be there this year. And that's just a team I just kind of want to put out on the radar. <laughs> it's not – saying Temple is going to exceed expectations is not actionable at this time because that win total has moved so far. Uh, and neither of us are saying go take a long shot flyer on Temple to win this – conference that you know that's that's just donating money to your local sports book i wouldn't recommend that but what might be actionable is hey look for some early season lines if they're crawling too far especially with miami and some of those other out of conference i will probably be back here talking about hey i'm probably going to take temple in this but i did want to close our american talk i know we didn't talk about every single team as much as we both would have loved to we'd probably be here for two hours just talking about just the american uh but a couple of bets that i did play uh, first of all, Navy, under seven wins. Uh, this line was hilarious when it first opened. I thought it was an absolute mistake, um, and the market did too because now it's down to uh, five and a half, which I would still play under because I have them for about 4.7 wins. Uh, what say you about that? Yeah, I am <clears throat> I have only a 13% chance that you would lose Navy under seven uh, with another 19 per- another 19% <laughs> chance to push. So 68% chance to win. I probably wouldn't go as far as you. My projected or average win total here is 5.8, uh, most likely record being 6-6 six and six here. Um, but I definitely think it opened too high based on what my numbers are saying. Um, I think it's probably about right now, but I think what you got, uh, 68% chance to win a bet, you'll take that more times than not. Uh, so, yeah, that's if you're hitting on 68%, you're going to be looking pretty good at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I, I I make them for 4.7, but I think I tend to agree with your assessment of 6-6 six and six better. They have four bye weeks this year. Four. So They're the, going to the be rested. Brett, the way my conference graphics work, um, and, and you can – or uh, sorry, team realist expectation graphics work. You can find them on my website at K-Ford Ratings. I'm looking at Navy's right now here. They play – like you said, they play in week zero. They buy in week one. They buy in week four. They buy in week nine. And then they also obviously have the conference championship game off most likely before they come back to play Army in what is week 15, the week after conference championship. So, yeah, there's a lot of gray on on navies, not just because that's what the buy is, but they also have two neutral sites, which I also designate with a different shade of gray. They got Notre Dame neutral site uh, across the pond here in week one. And then uh, they have Army, obviously, at the end of the year in the Army-Navy game, which is always neutral site as it should be. But what's funny about the four buys is they actually only have a rest advantage twice on the season. So it's like that. Yeah. And, and they also come into uh, one uh, game against Charlotte where Charlotte comes off their buy. So really they have a net one rest on Great. a four, four week buy. Uh, yeah. Navy under seven. Yeah. I pro- maybe under five and a half. I, I, I guess I was probably a little too hasty with that with the rest. But the other one too, and this one takes a little bit of uh, intestinal fortitude to make. At the time, I bet over Charlotte's win total. It opened at two and a half. I thought that was a little bit low. Um, I make them for 3.4, so nothing stellar. It's now up to three and a half, so I wouldn't bet it now. I wouldn't bet it again, but that is the other future that I took on this conference. 
What do you I think, think about Charlotte? <laughs> I, I think you're a real sicko here, Brett, uh, going with Charlotte. But it's hard to argue with where you got it at the over two and a half. You, you're projecting 3.4. I'm projecting 3.1. So we're, th- we're in the same ballpark here. Charlotte's the worst team in the American by my numbers. But I have a 66% chance to go over 2.5. So again, we talked about 68% on the previous one, 66. Listen, you all have to be above 52 and a half or whatever it is, 52.8, whatever that number is. You're in the 60s. Those are sound, from the math perspective, gambles, risks. And again, I'm not doing them, but the, my numbers that I produce say, you know what, given the information we have about these teams, if you're going to be on this one, that's that seems to be the side that the numbers are on. And so it's hard for me to argue that one too. But yeah, Charlotte, just given where they are as a team and a program, now you know, you got South Carolina State um, to open the year. So you're hoping that FCS opponent's going to be one for you. I don't have them favored again, though, in any game along the way. So you're hoping for, you know, a couple upsets, which happen every single week in college football. So you just need some for the 49ers there. Yeah, as long as their quarterback situation doesn't go completely out the window because their longtime veteran quarterback, uh, Chris Reynolds, is now gone, which sucks. I like Chris Reynolds a lot. Uh, but yeah, so we'll just uh, we'll hold our breath with that. That's not going to be a fun one. That's not going to be a fun one to hopefully ride out. But fingers crossed for three and nine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to four and eight. Fingers crossed for three and nine. But hop on over to our Discord where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans. It's live there. We're getting the college football uh, server back up. Go ahead and check that out because you can get live updates every time that I place a bet. Uh, And uh, maybe we'll get Kelly in there talking about, hey, what does he think about those? Of course, he's not placing any bets himself. But it's a really sharp and active community. We got people in there, not just me, not just our staff, but placing really sharp wagers and uh, having very intelligent conversations about college football. That's the Lions Free Discord server. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lions on YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos just like this one. And comment your thoughts. Are you riding with uh, over Charlotte or under Navy or some of these more, as Kelly said, sickos bets because that's what they are? Let us know down in the comments there. But thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we will see you all next week. 